Amen. Thank you, Brad, for leading us. Well, as we begin our service this morning, we're going to start by dismissing our children to kids' crew. They're going to make their way down to the front with our leaders. This is for kids who are fourth grade and younger. And a lot of them are already here, positioned uh, somewhat conveniently at the front. But uh, all of our kids, as they make their way upstairs, they're going to join our leaders who are going to pour into them today as they study the Scripture together. I want to encourage you to turn your Bible to John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4. We're in a series that we've entitled, Come and See, because the key phrase that is found in the text this morning, as well as the passage we studied last week and next week as we're working our way toward Christmas morning, is that phrase, come and see. And it's an invitation for us to come and see this Jesus, this Emmanuel, this one who has changed everything. And even in this text that we see today, uh, the invitation from this woman at the well who encounters Jesus at the well of Jacob, the invitation to everyone she knew, come and see this one who knew everything that I had ever done. And so we'll dive in together, John chapter 4 this morning. You know, wouldn't it be convenient if we, if we did know everything? Uh, I, I, some of you think you do. Uh, maybe you're convinced already that you do know. Or some of you are married to someone who knows everything. And it's okay, you can just agree with them even now, right? That's okay. That, uh, but wouldn't, really, wouldn't it be great if we did know everything? I mean, think of all the... Think of all the things we would do, all the problems we would fix, all the, all the cures we would come up with, all the solutions, everything that would happen if, if we just could know everything. And yet, we don't. We, we don't know everything. And, and the reality is, if we're really being honest, uh, it's, probably, it's probably more apt to say that we really don't know anything. In light of all the things that we do know, when we consider that against all that we don't know, it, in, in reality, it, it feels like sometimes I, I don't know anything. One of, the, one of the keys that I've learned in my life as, uh, as, as I've uh, you know, aged a little bit and got a few, a few more years on the tires, a, a few more laps around the sun, is I, I discover that the, the older I get, the less I know. Uh, and, and I find comfort in reality in the fact that I don't have to know everything. I, I don't have to know the answers to all the problems of life and all of those things because I trust in a God who does have perfect knowledge. I trust in a God who does know everything. And I don't say that to be coy. I, I don't say that to be dismissive. I mean that in all sincere faith that, you know, in light of what I don't know, in light of what we can't know, I find great comfort and peace in knowing that we serve a God who knows everything. And He shows us what we need to know in order to walk in obedience with Him. The key for us is not to focus on so much the things that we don't know, but rather it's, it's really to do the things that we do know. And, and that's, I think, where real wisdom and spiritual maturity comes into play, is when we stop trying to get all the knowledge that we don't have, really, when we stop trying to answer that question of why, why God, why this, why that, why, and instead live in this moment, live in this present reality in, in humble obedience to what we do know and what God has revealed. I've said this so many times before. I hope this never becomes cliche, 
to you, but it, it, to me it is the most helpful way I know to wrap my head around our task of walking by faith. It, we can describe it, I often describe it as being like driving at night. When you drive at night, you don't see everything that's happening around you. You see what the headlights show you, and that's enough to go that far. And when you go that far, then you can see a little bit further. And we keep going in that way. Well, following the Lord really is the same in our lives. We can't know everything. We won't know everything this side of heaven. And yet, what God has shown us is enough for us to walk that far in obedience. My hope is, as we, as we wrestle through this text this morning, as, as we really come to embrace the, the beauty of the truth we find in John chapter 4, that we would, we would act on faith that we would take those steps to do what the Lord has revealed to us and, and go as far as God has directed us, knowing that when we go that far, then He'll show us, He'll give us what we need to go a little bit further and to keep going as we seek to walk by faith and not by sight, trust Him and follow Him. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament because God has used this story to speak to me in such profound ways over the years. And so I'm excited for us to read together from John chapter 4. Now, there's a lot of ground that I'm going to cover here in the Scripture this morning. Rather than just summarizing the story for you, I'm going to read the story for you because I want the Scripture to speak to us this morning. And so we're going to read, uh, in, in total, about 34 verses of Scripture together this morning as we work our way through the story of what's happening in John chapter 4. So let's begin together. John chapter 4 in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. 
But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And then let's skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This story is full of so much goodness, so, uh, so much uh, great truth for us to wrap our minds around. But in order for us to really understand and perceive all that's taking place, there's a little bit of background that we need to understand. There's a, there's a, a historical context of sorts here that isn't plainly obvious to us as the, the modern audience, because it's talking about cultural things. Now, maybe you've heard me preach or teach on this passage, or you've heard someone else teach on this passage before, and so maybe you have some insight and some awareness to this background. But in, in case you don't, let's, let's, let's all be on the same page. Let me bring you up to speed with, with what's really the, what, what I'll call the pretext for what's taking place here in this passage in John chapter 4. You see that this woman is a Samaritan woman. That means that she lives in an area that's called Samaria. Samaria, as it's known by the time that Jesus is, is, is living in, in, in this, this day, the contemporary day, we'll say, of, of Jesus in his time. Samaria was the land that would have formerly been known as the northern tribes of Israel. So following the reign of Solomon, who was David's son, the kingdom was divided. The kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. And the two kingdoms were divided such that the southern kingdom was comprised of Judah and the Levites, the Levitical tribe, the tribe of Levi. And the northern ten tribes comprised what would be known as, just simply in the Old Testament as Israel. So at that point where the kingdom is divided, you have the the nation of Israel that emerges and the nation of Judah that emerges. Now there was already an Israel, right? The name Israel, the nation of Israel, that's just derived from the the patriarch, from the, the, the father, the great father of the nation 
who was Jacob, whom God later renamed as Israel because he wrestled with God. You remember that story that Jacob wrestled all night long with God and God changed his name to Israel. Israel, Jacob, had 12 sons. His 12 sons became, each of them, the head of a tribe of Israel. That's not actually totally true because one of his sons, Joseph, had two of the tribes, two, two sons, and, and there were tribes named after his sons. But nonetheless, in, in the lineage of, of Jacob, you come to have these 12 tribes, the head of 12, 12 great families inside of the nation of Israel. And each of these tribes, each of these great families has its own heritage, its own identity, its own allotment of land in the promised land when the nation of Israel entered into the promised land, the land that God had, had, had sworn that He would give to them. And so each of these tribes occupies a territory, but when the kingdom divides, ten of the tribes, ten of the great families, unite together and create the northern kingdom, or as the Old Testament commonly refers to it, just Israel, the, the, the nation or the kingdom of Israel. And what happened is that Israel was conquered the nation of Israel, the northern tribes, were conquered in 722 by the Assyrian army, the Assyrians. And in the wake of all the events and all the things that transpire after the Assyrian conquest, the, the nation of Israel begins to marry amongst the other peoples in the surrounding, in the surrounding nations. And so they became no longer a... a, a uh, a pure race. I, I, that sounds a little bit. That sounds a little bit uh, off kilter when we say that. But I mean, to understand it properly, let's 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 call it what it is. Okay, they no longer become a, a pure bloodline of sorts of just Israelites, just people within that bloodline. But now, as they intermarry, they become they become a mixed race, and in that sense, their identity morphs, and they begin to be called by this new name, this emerging name of Samaritans, because the, the land that they lived in became known as Samaria. The, the land that formerly occupied the, where the, these, these ten northern families, the ten northern tribes, that land became known as the land of Samaria. And so someone who lived in Samaria would be a Samaritan. That makes sense, right? Well, here's the thing. A... a great rivalry, a, a, a great rift arose between the Judeans, who were the southern tribe or the southern kingdom, and the Samaritans. This, because the Judeans considered the Samaritans to be, to be heretics. They considered them to be, to be uh, living in open rebellion against God that they had done what ought not to, they had violated the law of God, they had violated the word of God by marrying amongst these foreign peoples, becoming a mixed race as the, as the people of Judah saw, the people of Samaria. And in this, there became this, this great rivalry of sorts. So that we read in parentheses in verse 9, we read this, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Well, the reason that we understand that to be the case is because of this, this strong rivalry that exists between 
those who were the Jews, that is, the descendants of the tribe of Judah, or Jews as they became known, and the Samaritans, who were the descendants of the former nation of Israel. What's more is we have a woman here who's come to this well in the middle of the day to draw water. Now, some of the context there even is interesting because the reason that the woman came to the well in the middle of the day in order to draw water is that she would have been an outcast among her own people. Not only would, would she have been someone that Jesus typically would not have had any kind of dealing with or any kind of conversation with because, as she mentions, Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Not only that, it's also it's, it's quite, it's quite uh, abnormal for this day and time that a man would have conversation with any woman that was not a part of his own household, meaning his, his wife or his daughters or even perhaps uh, someone, someone else who, who works in his household. So typically a man doesn't just approach a woman and, and strike up conversation. But even more so, we find the, 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 the layers as we peel these back, that this woman has come to the well in the middle part of the day, whereas typically the women would gather at the well early in the morning to draw water, and they would draw enough water to supply their needs for the day, and that became sort of a, a social place. We have this this phrase that we talk about, the water cooler, people who gather around the water cooler. Maybe in your office place there's an actual water cooler, right? And that's the place. But nonetheless, whether or not you have a real water cooler, we get the idea is it's a, it's a common place, a shared space that people go, and, and, and that's a place where people gather together. Well, the well would have been that common gathering place. It would have been sort of a social place, and the women would would come at a certain time of day to draw water to supply their needs for the day, but it also became kind of a social gathering for the women, that they would meet there, they would catch up with one another, they would draw the water, and then they would go their way and, and, and take on the day. This woman comes to the well at a time when typically no other women would be at the well on purpose, because she's avoiding the other women, because we see by the very nature of, of what Jesus identifies in her past, that she would have been she would have been an outcast among her own people even. So here's a woman who is totally on the fringes, an outcast, someone, who, someone who, who everyone looks down their nose at because of her past, because she's living with a man who isn't her husband, and Jesus identifies that she's had five husbands. In other words, we might say it, to put it even somewhat PG in our day, this woman, she got around, right? I mean, that was the way that we would, that we would understand this sort of thing. This was a woman with a past, a woman with a colored past even at that. And yet, Jesus encounters her in this place. And we see from this encounter that he, he speaks truth to her and that in speaking truth to her, it not only impacts her life, but we see the ripple effects even in those, those latter verses that we read, verse 39, 40, 41, 42, we see that others, many others came to believe as well. And they even gave this testimony in verse 42. No longer do we just believe because of what you said, but now we have seen for ourselves that this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. The key phrase, the hinge phrase in all of this, we saw in verse 29. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Well, indeed, this was the Christ. This was Jesus. 
Emmanuel, God's Messiah, His anointed one. Not just any man, but the Son of Man, the Son of God, the one who had come to offer His life, or even as Jesus says plainly to her, I who speak to you am He. He is the Messiah. He is God's chosen one. And so as we, as we look at this lesson, this, this story, I want us to see three key truths, three key lessons from this story. Now, there's so much we could say about this story, but I, I, want, to, I want to speak with a specific purpose today in understanding as we look at the application of this story for our lives, centered around this idea of come and see. Come and see. It's an invitation for us to come and see. So that if you are someone who has never trusted in Jesus by faith, I hope that as we unpack this story this morning, you might be like one of these who receives the invitation. Come and see this one who knows all that you've ever done and who loves you anyway. Perhaps if you are someone who has already come and seen, so to speak, you have already encountered Christ by faith, then may you this morning, as we, as we unpack this, may you be one who shares a similar witness to this woman that would go to others, that we would take up this mission of sharing Christ with others, inviting others around us to come and see that they may come to believe in Jesus for themselves. So as we look at this, the first, the, the first application I, I want us to see for our lives this morning is this, is that Jesus will satisfy those who trust His promise. Jesus will satisfy those who trust His promise. The, the word satisfy, that word satisfy is a key word, is it not? That's an important word. Because Jesus has for us, He offers us that which we cannot find any place else. The woman has come to the well to draw water from the well. Of course, she needs water to survive. We all need water to survive, don't we? You can, you can only live for so long without water. You, you can only live just a matter of, of, of days, a, a mere few days at the most, without water because our bodies need water to su- survive. At the cellular level, our bodies are comprised mostly of water even. And so water is key. It's, it's an important part of, of our function, even at the cellular level. But we understand that what this is indicative of is something much greater than just H2O. That this is, this, is, this is living water that Jesus speaks to the woman of. And so he's speaking, of course, metaphorically here. That he says to the woman that if you, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you, you would have asked, and I would give you water, and you would never thirst again. You would never thirst again. Jesus is saying to her, if you knew, woman, if you knew who was speaking to you, then you would understand that I have the thing that you are looking for. All that it is that you're missing, all that it is that you're seeking, all of those things that you long for, the desires of your heart, Jesus says, I hold the keys to all of that. I truly have what it takes to satisfy. If we're being honest, aren't isn't satisfaction really the, the desire of our hearts? Isn't, isn't it true that what we seek after, we seek to be fulfilled. We seek to have those inner desires met. And so we try to, we try to meet that desire, that longing with so many things. 
I suppose that on one extreme, we see people who chase after money. And they chase after money because, it, not just of the money itself, but it's, it's all the things that money promises. It's all the things that, that's, that, that money supposedly can give us, right? The, the, the sense of security, the, the, the ability to have everything that we, that we want, to have all of our physical needs met, to have, we would think, all, the, the, you know, all of the desires of our heart met. And yet, anyone who's ever achieved a lot of money would, would give witness to the fact that yeah, that won't do it. Uh, jokingly, I've heard people say, you know, just, just once I wish God would let me test and see that money doesn't truly buy happiness, right? I mean, it'd be nice to put that to the test. But the truth of the matter is, even if you could have all the money in the world, it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough. Because money won't satisfy the woman comes to the well at a time of day that's unique, different from all the other women because, because she's not received by everyone else. Because she is somewhat of an outcast, a woman on the fringes. Maybe you can identify. Maybe you feel like the person who's the outcast. Maybe you feel like the person that just doesn't quite fit in with everybody else. Maybe you just, maybe, and maybe it is because of your past and things that you've done. Maybe it's because, maybe you feel like it's because of your family name. Maybe you feel like it's because of your station in life or the thing that you do. There, there, are, so many, there are so many reasons why we might feel like the person on the edges, the person on the, on the margins, on the fringes. And yet, what we see in this story is that Jesus knows even the people in those in those spaces. Jesus knows us. He knows who we are. He knows what we've done. He knows our past. Isn't it interesting how Jesus just speaks plainly to this woman? He says, you're right in saying that you don't have a husband because you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. Jesus knew everything that this woman had done. She perceives that he's a prophet. And of course, in her uneasiness, she wants to turn the conversation to something else. Oh, I see that you're a prophet. You, your people say that we should worship, and she wants to make the story. Of, she wants to, and, and Jesus even steers that back to the heart of the matter. Jesus says, oh, woman, it's not about where we worship. It's ultimately about who we worship. And a day is coming when, when the Father will seek those who worship Him in spirit and truth. Jesus has the power to satisfy those who trust in His promise. Can I ask you just a very simple question? What are you trusting in to satisfy you? What are you looking to to satisfy you? Maybe, maybe you wouldn't say, well, yeah, but I'm trusting in it. But isn't that really what we do? If we look to something for satisfaction, then we're trusting in that for satisfaction. What is it that you're looking to? What is it that you're trusting in for satisfaction? Jesus will satisfy those who trust in His promise. Not only that, we see that Jesus brings salvation. Jesus will save those who turn to Him in faith. That's the point of the living water, isn't it? That's the point of what Jesus is saying to the woman, is that I can give you the thing that your soul desires. It's not just not just the material things that we're chasing after, not just the belonging, not just the connection with others, but it's the, it's, the, it's the desire of our souls. And Jesus says, I can give you the very thing that your soul 
longs for, that your soul craves. Salvation through faith in Jesus. He has the power to save, to forgive us of our sin. Does He know our past? Yes. Does He see the past and all that we've done in the past? Yes. And because He is, even as she has identified, the Messiah, the Christ, the the Anointed One, God's Chosen One, because Jesus truly is God's Anointed One, He has the power to bring salvation to all of those who turn to Him in faith. Praise God, that's what this woman found. And not only her, but the others as well, right? We read in, again in verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. So the woman found salvation through, through trusting in Jesus, turning to Him in faith, but others as well found salvation as they turned to Jesus by faith. And everyone even to this day, everyone who turns to Jesus in faith finds salvation, forgiveness, a fresh start. No matter what is in your past, no matter what you've done, there's forgiveness and freedom through faith in Jesus. Much like with this woman, He knows everything that you've done. And if you would turn to Him for living water, you can be satisfied. What is living water? Well, living water here, just that's Jesus, His metaphorical way here of speaking of what He pours out on us. Think of, think of water and how water is, you know, we pour water into a glass, we pour water into, into a cup before we drink it. Water is poured, it's liquid, right? It's, it's fluid. It takes the shape. Well, God in His great mercy has poured out His salvation. His salvation is fluid in this sense of He extends it to us. He pours it out on us as we trust in Jesus by faith so that we can find this living water that satisfies our souls as we trust in Jesus by faith. And finally, we see in this passage that Jesus will sanctify those who take Him at His word. Sanctify. Now that's a that's a word we don't use a lot. I suppose in the context of, of church, we use that word perhaps more than we would any other time or any other place. But that word sanctify means to be set apart. Something that is sanctified is something that is set apart for a, for a special or a, a holy purpose. And so what it means for us to be sanctified is that God has the has the ability as He saves us to set us apart, meaning that he, he invites us into His mission, His purpose for our lives. He has the power to transform us. So often we use the word sanctification. That's just a noun form of this same word, right? Sanctify is the verb. That's the process. And sanctification is the noun. That's the, that's, and, and so it's a, big, it's a fancy-sounding word, I used it in this context because it starts with the letter S, and so it fits my outline well, right? But it means that we would be set apart. It means that we would, we would be changed, transformed for God's purpose in our lives. God has the power as He saves us from our sin to transform us so that we aren't who we once were. Our lives aren't what they once were. Now we are set apart for God's great purpose. We're sanctified. 
Look again at verse 40. When the Samaritans came to Him, meaning they came, literally, they came to Jesus from the town, right? We go back a few verses and we read that. These people heard the testimony of this woman and they came to the place where Jesus was to see. Because what was her invitation? Come and see. Come and see this man who knew everything that I've ever done. Can this be the Christ? Verse 40, So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And then in verse 42, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. In other words, they took Jesus at his word. Yes, they heard the, the testimony of the woman who encountered Jesus at the well. But more than that, they came to see for themselves. And what they found was true. And they submitted their lives to that truth. You see, the invitation is the same to us, that we would come and see. Come and see this one who knows everything that you and I have ever done. He knows everything that you've done. He knows your past. He knows all the mistakes that you've made, all the sins that you've done, all the things, all the wrong, everything that's terrible in your past. And yet, amazingly, He loves you anyway. And He welcomes you with open arms saying to you, much like he says to this woman at the well, if you would ask, I would give you living water and you would drink and never thirst again. You see, in Jesus we find the satisfaction as we trust in his promise. In Jesus we find salvation as we turn to him in faith. And in Jesus we find sanctification, transformation in our lives as we take him at his word. Have you ever taken Jesus at His word? Have you ever trusted His promise by faith? Has there been that time in your life when you have submitted your life to Jesus? Where you have said, Lord, I, I, in faith, I confess my sin to You and I trust You to forgive my sins, to cleanse me and make me new. If that's never taken place then this morning, I would like to extend to you the same basic invitation that this woman gave to those she encountered. Come see a man who can tell you all that you have ever done. This is the Christ. This morning, may we find salvation as we turn to Jesus by faith. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of invitation. After I lead us in a prayer, we're going to stand and sing a song together. And even as we sing that song this morning, we call this the time of invitation because I'm inviting you to respond. And the invitation is simply this. If you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus today by faith, if you're ready to receive this salvation that Jesus gives freely as a gift to all of those who trust Him, if you're ready to drink of the water that Jesus provides that you might drink and never thirst again, we understand, of course, that's a metaphor. If, if, we're, if you're ready to receive that by faith today, then I would invite you to come. Even as we sing that song, I'll be standing here at the front, you can come and just simply say, I'm ready to trust Jesus. And I can walk you through a prayer of faith where you would surrender your life to Him, where you would ask Him to come into your life, to send His Holy Spirit to dwell with you by faith, to forgive you of your sins, and to give you that new life, that promise of new life as you trust in Him. And if that's you, then today I would encourage you, even as we're singing together in a moment, that you would step in the aisle, make your way forward, 
And let me visit with you and pray with you, leading you through that prayer of commitment today, that you would trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, that you would drink of the well, that you might be satisfied. I invite you now to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And as we prepare to move into this time of response, let me offer again a simple a simple invitation, much like the invitation extended by the woman in this text. This morning, if you are ready to come and see this Jesus who, who can give us living water, my prayer is that you would turn to Him in faith. Let's pray. Lord, we come before You this morning acknowledging Your, your rich mercy that You make Yourself available to us. Lord, we recognize that You satisfy those who, who trust in Your promise. What is more, Lord, we understand that You save those who turn to You in faith. We turn from our sin and turn to You for salvation. And Jesus, You sanctify, You transform us as we take You at Your Word, as we live according to Your Word. And so we pray that you would work in our hearts now, much like this woman and those that believed on account of her testimony. Lord, we want to trust in you. And also, much like the woman, Lord, we want to be a part of sharing that message with others that they too may trust in you by faith. So we pray that you would move in our hearts now as we respond to your invitation. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.